better than we know it ourselves, I think, sometimes. And, uh, yeah, so he, he looks at the thoughts and intents of our heart, and he knows. Um, and, and he knows, too, that the church doesn't run on thin air either. Uh, so we... <laughs> and, and to be able to bless you, he needs something to work with as well, you know. So um, God, that's why God talks about that, because he want, his desire is to bless us, um, but he needs us to apply our faith, and he, he needs us also to, um, to, to give something to him to work with so that he can, he can bless us. Right, so I want to talk, I feel very strongly, I have for a while about we, before we kind of embark on what we want to, what we feel God is doing with us this year, it's really important for us to understand covenant. And so that's what I want to start with today. I want to talk about our covenant with God. Um, so what is a covenant? I don't even know. It's not really a word that people use much these days, is it? Do you use the word covenant in your everyday speech that much? Not really? No? Maybe if you read the Bible, maybe you might read it out. Sometimes you might read it out and not understand what it is. <laughs> but covenant is uh, when two people, it can be between people or it can be a uh, between groups of people, tribes, uh, whatever. Whenever a couple of groups make a covenant with each other, it's because they need each other. And one tribe has what the other, the other tribe needs, and vice versa. So where one tribe is weak, the other is strong. So when they're in covenant, they're both strong because each one covers the other's weakness. So as an example... Uh, just a, an example of from sort of perhaps in tribe, tri, uh, from a tribal point of view, one tribe might have the strength in farming and growing crops, while the other tribe might have strength as warriors. And so the warriors need to eat, while the other tribe needs protection. And a covenant always works both ways. So there are covenant, the covenant is mentioned a lot throughout the Bible, um, and one of the examples is with Abram. And I'm just going to read a couple of scriptures, or three actually, to you. Um, first one, I'm just starting, it's not going to be on the screen, this one, but it's just from Genesis 12, verses 1 to 4. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your kindred and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's a big promise, isn't it? So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him. So he actually was obedient to what God had said to him. Uh, now Genesis 15 verses 5 to 6 says, Then he, that's God, brought him, that's Abram, outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. Have you ever tried numbering the stars? <coughs> you have? Did you get far? <laughs> no. <laughs> and he said to him, So shall your descendants be. In other words, God was saying, Your descendants are going to be too many to count. And... 
and it says the next verse starts and he believed so at that moment it was like the penny dropped and it went into his heart um, so suddenly that revelation became real to him in, in verse 18 of the 15th chapter of Genesis it says on the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying to your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. The Lord, so the Lord did make a covenant with him. So a covenant, and I apologize, I've got a bit of a <coughs> bug. <coughs> okay, sorry. So a covenant is an agreement, and it's sometimes sealed in blood. And so to, in today's word, we don't, as I said, use covenant much, but... Uh, probably the closest thing we'd get today would be a legally binding contract, like when you buy a car or you buy property or get a mortgage. Um, that's somewhat like a covenant. Uh, when God made a covenant with Abraham, now that he changed his name. He said, your name is no longer going to be Abram, it's going to be Abraham, which means father of many nations. I think Ab Abraham needed to speak that out and have it spoken. Uh, when God made that covenant with him, they both had something to give. Abraham gave God a personal relationship with him and, and his family. And so that's what God wants from us. He wants a personal relationship with us. He doesn't just want um, like a religious kind of um, relationship. That's not really a, re a real relationship. He wants a real life, like close relationship with his children. And God gave Abraham many descendants, and there were kings in, in amongst his descendants as well, and the promised land, and blessing. So in, in this covenant, God required that Abraham would follow where God leads and walk, walk blamelessly before him and teach his family to do what is right before him. So the difference between a covenant and a contract is... Well, they both contain obligations and commitments, um, but the difference is that they, the covenant involves personal relationship. Okay, so it involves a personal, actual relationship between two people or two parties, whereas a contract doesn't. So if you sign a, a contract to buy a car, that doesn't involve a personal relationship with the person that you bought it off, does it? And same with the, if you buy a house, you're not, you're not forming a relationship with the seller of the house, um, are you? I mean, that would be kind of weird. Well, yeah. But anyway, it doesn't include that. But a covenant is a um, commitment that formalizes a relationship between those groups. So a covenant is where two people or, or, or parties make promises to each other, working together towards a common goal. Um, and when a covenant is made, they are accompanied by vows or oaths um, and sometimes ceremonies. And today when we enter a legally binding contract, what do we do? We, we sign, right? We sign on the dotted line. We initial each page. Has anyone ever done that? Yep, I've done that. We, 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 we sign it in order to make it a formal thing where we've given our formal consent to say we're, we're agreeing to this. 
But in biblical times, the covenant was usually given formal consent by sealing the covenant in blood. And so the two tribes, the head of the tribes, would, would mingle their blood. And so that would be, they'd become blood brothers. And, uh, and, and actually, the New Testament is all about a new covenant that we have, and that's with God. And do you know that that covenant was sealed in the blood of someone as well? Sealed in Jesus' blood. The perfect lamb that sin, didn't sin. So, you know, God gave us access to that wonderful covenant 2,000 years ago. And, his, and this particular covenant, as I said, was sealed in, in Jesus' blood. So God's gift to us was his son, John 3.16 says. He loved the world so much that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish but would have everlasting life. And what's our gift to God? When we make a decision to actually accept Jesus, we give him our life. Um, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20 says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and, and you are not your own, for you were bought with a price? What was the price that we were bought for? With It was Jesus' blood, right? Jesus died on the cross to make us part of his family and to enter into covenant um, with us. It says, you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So our covenant as individuals became active when we decided to accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And you know, that, that covenant is so important to really have a good understanding of because it's a covenant of grace and sin no longer has a hold over us. Um, because the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness or all sin or anything. What that means is it's just anything that separates us from God. So, uh, some people sneaking out. <laughs> um, so it's a covenant where there's lots of incredible blessings. In fact, this Bible is full of them. This Bible is... is um, an outline of all of the covenant blessings that we have uh, if, if we choose to take hold of them and we we don't God doesn't force us to do that um, he doesn't force blessing down our throat he, he we need to use our faith and uh, and so you know I it's so important that we understand covenant because God has given us so many promises in his word and we need to apply our faith to receive them. And all we need to do is ask and then believe it and receive it. And in John 14, 14, Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So to ask in the original Greek is, and I know I've said this in another message, it's to demand. It actually means to demand. Um, and so, you know, we ha we're covenant partners with God. And just as if two tribes are in covenant together, if one tribe needs the protection of the other, they do it. And vice versa. And so, and so with, with our covenant with God, God doesn't need protection, by the way. 
He doesn't need food. He doesn't need blessing. He's got all of that. He's got everything. So it's, it's a very one-sided covenant in a way, isn't it? Because we're the one that receive all the blessings. <laughs> He's got incredible blessings for us. But we can, as covenant partners, we can say, Lord, your word says this. That's part of our covenant. And so if you're, if you're needing healing, for example, whether it be physical healing or healing in your soul, you can say, Lord, I, your word says I'm healed. So symptoms are irrelevant because your word says I'm healed. And so as your covenant daughter, I, I demand the, the blessings of that covenant because your word says, your word says I am healed by Jesus' stripes. Your word says that Jesus bore all my griefs and carried all my sorrows. So we just need to speak it out in faith. That's all that is. It's just having confidence. You know, God's, um, God has moved into action on our behalf through our faith. Um, it's not his faith. He's not moved into action by his faith. <laughs> He's got all the faith he needs. He created the world by speaking. And by the way, when we speak, we release frequencies into the atmosphere and, uh, and they continue to, to go forth and create, whether it's a good thing we've spoken or a bad thing we've spoken, actually. So we, if you've spoken negative things, cancel them out. Cancel them out and just pray, Lord, I, can't, I cancel those negative words that I've spoken, whether it's over yourself or over someone else, I cancel them out in Jesus' name. I just had to do that just yesterday, just by the way. If you think that I'm perfect, I'm certainly not. <laughs> by far, far from that. <laughs> uh, we're saved by grace, not by works, thankfully. Um, <laughs> but God's moved into action through our faith. He's not moved by our emotion. He's not moved by his empathy for us. And he does feel empathy, but he's not moved by that. He's moved by faith. And it says in the Bible, that's why it says in the Bible, without faith it's impossible to please God. We, we, we have to have faith. It's just what makes things work. It's like the electricity in a way. Uh, so yeah, so we've got to use our faith. He is moved when we place a demand on our covenant with him in faith. Um, and another, another example of covenant is the marriage covenant. It's God-ordained. And where, where the husband is or wife is weak, the other is strong. They complement each other. So in the marriage covenant, they're both strong because each one covers the other's weakness. That's cool, eh? And, and when double bonus, when God's included in the marriage... Um, the marriage becomes extra strong um, because if the husband and wife are both weak, they can cling to him because God is always strong. And that's why that scripture that's often quoted at weddings, um, Ecclesiastes 4.12, it says, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. And so that's talking about the husband and wife and God. Um, and if you know anything about ropes, um, there's usually, they're made of lots of multiple strands if you've just got one 
part of the rope, it can break far easier than if two are intertwined. That takes longer to break. But if there's three, it's so much stronger. So why is marriage important to God? It's important because it's an image of the covenant that we have with God. It's actually an image of it. When two people join together in marriage, they make a covenant together in the sight of God. And the Bible says they become one. Genesis 2.24 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So the marriage vows are spoken uh, to one another and before God. And vows are oaths. Um, they should not be ever taken lightly. And by the way, you can actually make vows to yourself um, and sometimes they're very unhealthy ones um, where, say, for example, you get offended or you get hurt and you say in your heart, and nobody hears it except God, but you'll say something like, I'm never going to do that again or I, I, I don't like that person anymore and I'm never going to see them again or I'm offended by what that preacher preached and I'm never setting foot in this church again. Or, or it could be, I don't like what that Christian said to me, so I'm never coming back to church. That those can be, and I, I've done uh, not those particular examples, but I have made vows to myself and I've realised it later when I've said to the Holy Spirit, Lord, show me what is it that's a, what is, is there a problem? And, and he's brought to my memory immediately something that I've said in my heart that I've needed to cancel out and repent from because it was a vow spoken that I didn't realise it was a vow. I just thought I was angry. But, um, but you know, I needed, I needed to get rid of that. So just be aware of, of that. Um, so getting back to marriage... <laughs> God views marriage very highly, um, and that's why in today's world, uh, a man and a woman who get married are kind of seen as really conservative, <laughs> which is a very sad thing. Um, and why? It's because it's really, Satan hates anything that brings life, and he's been working for decades and centuries to um, kill and steal and destroy everything he can. Um, in everything that is good that comes from God. Um, and so that's why he has co organized a coordinated attack um, on marriage and families. And we can see in our world that that's become even more... It's, it's incredible, actually, what's happened in the last sort of 30 years, but even longer than that, of course. But it just feels like it's just becoming so much more obvious now. Um, it, it used to be a traditional thing that there would be, you know, a family and, and so forth, but now that's just kind of been broken. And um, there's so much um, that happens in the world that isn't meant to happen. And the reason for that is because of Satan's goal is to kill, steal, and destroy. Um, He's deceived people into being afraid of the commitment a marriage covenant brings, um, as if it's something bad. He's deceived people into thinking that people 
uh, deceive people into thinking that um, living with someone outside of the marriage covenant is perfectly fine. He's deceived people into thinking that raising children in a stable home with God as its foundation is something that's not necessary. Um, And it's all based on deception and Satan's desire to steal, kill, and destroy anything that's good and right. Um, So if you're going to get annoyed, get annoyed with Satan about that. (laughs) There has been an attack and another attack, an attack after attack on marriage and family. Um, Babies are aborted in the womb under the guise of your body, your choice. But that's an attack on family. Um, Fathers have been missing from families. Sometimes mothers are missing from families. Um, The children feel that. You know, sometimes that brings rejection. Um, And marriage is undervalued and seen as just a piece of paper. But God values marriage highly. And uh, he confirmed this in Matthew 19.5 when he responded to the Pharisees. um, And he said, for this reason, a man shall leave, because the Pharisees were talking about divorce. And anyway, he said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So as a Christian, I value God's plan higher than my plan. Um, Therefore, if marriage is important to God, it's important to me as well. You know, and God's plan has, and this is this is seen less and less now because of the way the way that Satan's been going for it, um, and as a consequence, marriage is undervalued. But God's plan, given in here, is for us to marry the person that God knows is the right one for us. Um, to raise our children to know God and to honour him in a loving, peaceful and stable home. And then for the cycle to be repeated over and over again. Um, But it's an imperfect world and uh, we all make mistakes. Um, Sometimes we purposely choose our will over God's will as well. Sometimes that happens, which is actually a form of rebellion. Um, and it's, it's not perfect. You know, none of us are perfect. I'm certainly not perfect. I'll give you a shock if you don't know. I've been married twice. There you go. Okay. But um, know this, that there is honor in marriage between a man and a woman. And Hebrews 13.4 says... Marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Now, there's another uh, reason why the marriage covenant is important to God, and it's, and it's another reason, actually, why Satan seeks to destroy marriage and family. And here's the reason. It's because it's an image of the relationship between Jesus Christ and the church. Ephesians 5:25 to 26 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. So the church is not a building. 
if you know God, you are the church. You are, it's in the Bible, in the Greek, we're called the ecclesia. Um, It's those of us who've made Jesus our Lord and Saviour. So it's us. It's us. Um, And just as two people come together in the marriage covenant, the church is referred to quite a few times in the Bible as the bride of Christ. And Jesus is the bridegroom. He's referred to as the bridegroom as well. So Ephesians 5.27 says that he, that's Jesus, might present it, that's the church, to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So our covenant with God is likened by God to the marriage covenant. And that's why we, the church, are described as the bride of Christ. Um, 2 Corinthians 11.2 says, For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. In this verse, you know, Paul speaking to the church in Corinth, um, and he's talking about the church as being betrothed to Christ. Now, we don't use the word betrothed much these days. I haven't used it in my general day-to-day speech for a very long time until today. <laughs> um, but do you know what it means? It means to be engaged to be married uh, or promised in marriage. So, like being Jesus' fiance, That's what the church is, Okay. <laughs> So from these scriptures, we can see that marriage is important to God. It's so important that the lamb, that's Jesus, our Lord and Savior, will marry his bride. That's the bride of Christ. Revelation 19.7 says, Let us be glad and rejoice um, and give him glory, for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife. Now, the, the Greek word for that wife is actually bride. Okay. So, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. So, there it is again. And there will be a day, sometime in the future, maybe not far away, but maybe a wee while away. Um, Jesus said no one knows the exact time, but we will know the season, uh, when the church will be raptured. And, uh, And that may not be a word that you're familiar with, Um, but it means that the church will be supernaturally removed from the earth. Um, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 16 to 17 says, For the Lord, and this is describing the rapture, For the Lord himself, that's Jesus, will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain... Um, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. So it says in there, when those who are alive and remain, everyone's alive, but are we remaining in Christ? Those are the ones that get raptured. Okay? Uh, So whether we die before this happens, I don't know, or whether we don't, I don't know. It's up to God and his timing. But this gives us all a a good glimpse into what will happen um, 
to, to all of us, whether we've died or not, because it says the dead in Christ shall rise first, um, provided we are in covenant with God and uh, have made Jesus our Lord and Saviour. And Jesus warned us to be ready for that in Matthew 25 uh, with the parable of the wise and foolish virgins, which I'll just quickly read to you. Um, but in this chapter, he's talking, he's giving a parable, and it's about, um, he's just given, he's just talked about the faithful servant and the evil servant. Prior to that, he was talking about the great tribulation and so forth. But in chapter 25, verse 1 to 13, Jesus said that then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but you go to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, I do not know you. Then Jesus finished saying, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. And the oil is, is often referred to here as the oil of the Holy Spirit. Um, but you've got to be ready. You can't be depending on other people to you know, to, to ride on their faith. You know, you, you can't be um, thinking, oh, it's all going to be fine. I can just live however I want to. Um, you know, it's fine. I'll be raptured if, if, anything, if it comes to that. And by the way, um, oh, I'll talk about that in a second. Uh, yeah, so when, when the rapture happens whether it's in our lifetime or just a little bit later on. I think we're coming to the season, though. We can see the trip of the... Um, we can see the chaos in the world. We can see the unrest in the world. We can see the, the spiritual battle going on. We can feel it in the atmosphere. Um, but when, when the rapture happens, the salt of the earth, that's the church, the ecclesia, that's you and I... Uh, will have been removed. And there's a scripture that talks about if the salt is removed, you know, like basically rot sets in. So Satan will take advantage of that moment of chaos to bring the Antichrist and thrust the world into a seven-year tribulation. Um, and, and if you thought COVID was bad, that's nothing. That's nothing. I think uh, the first, from what I know about this, the first three and a half years will probably be not too bad, um, but the last three and a half years will be absolute torment. So um, I'd recommend you don't be there for that. Um, <laughs> Revelation 19, 
7 to 9, chap, uh, verses 7 to 9, gives us a glimpse into what happens once we're raptured to the ones that are raptured. It says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous act of, acts of the saints. Then he said, right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And I want to be one of those people. Uh, so why have I said that about the rapture? It's because Jesus is coming home to bring home a glorious church. Um, Satan is trying to do everything he can to prevent that from happening. Um, and he's doing it in lots of ways, including attempting to destroy what gold holds dear and discredit it as well and, and that's the marriage covenant and families um, and that's why Satan hates marriage because it's God ordained and it's an image of the covenant we have with God and he knows that the church is the promised bride of, um, to Christ so he's, he's working really hard to destroy marriage telling people things like you don't need to marry marriage is just a piece of paper have you ever heard that? I have, I've heard that um, what about this one? We've bought a house together, so we've, that, we're all committed. People say that too. Um, we've already got kids, we're happy. Why do we need to get married? But people that say those sorts of things are saying it out of what they think is right, but they're deceived, actually. Um, and they're being robbed of blessing and joy because of it. So that's why our, God's ideal for us is to wait until marriage before we sleep with somebody. Um, not only does this prevent unhealthy soul ties being created, but it goes deeper than that. God tells us to remain a virgin until we're married so that we can remain pure. And just as it says in Ephesians 5, um, husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, and then it then it says a bit further down that he, Jesus, might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that it should be holy and without blemish. So why does Satan want to steal, kill and, and destroy marriage and family? And that includes um, uh, making it acceptable to sleep with anybody. Um, it's because he knows that the marriage covenant is an image of the marriage of Christ and the church. And it's, it's an image of the covenant we have with him. And so the Bible says Jesus is coming for a glorious church. That's talking about holiness and purity. And, uh, and that's why God wants to, uh, Satan wants to destroy anything that's got any kind of image of God. He wants to destroy everything that's good. And so he tries to sell it to us um, in all sorts of ways, including through music, which was his specialty when he was in heaven. Um, that's why he sells, uh, you know, just perversion through music and um, sexual immorality, all that kind of thing, because he wants to destroy what is good and he wants people to be robbed of that blessing. But do you know what? The good news is that even if we have stuffed it up, nobody gets everything right. Even if we've stuffed it up, we can 
make it right with God. That's the amazing thing about God is that no matter what we've done, no matter how bad it is, no matter, no matter what it's related to, God forgives us if we go to him. And I love that about God. He, he just accepts us as we are. And that's really lovely. And I thank God for that. You know, all we need to do is just choose him. Choose to live for him. Um, choose to surrender our will. Um, Matthew, and I've preached on this before as well, uh, Matthew uh, 6 verse 9 says, Pray in this manner, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Why? Because he knows it's the best thing for us. He knows it's the best. So all we need to do is surrender our plans and our desires and our wants to him because he has the best for us. And even if we've stuffed it up, because we're not perfect creatures, um, he, he makes us right. He, he cleanses us and makes us right again with him. So I don't know if there's anybody that's never made a decision for God, but I'm going to give you an opportunity to enter into that covenant with him. And if you, if you pray this and you haven't done this before, and you, or if you're recommitting your heart, I want to see you afterwards. I want you to come in because we've got something for you. But I'm going to get everyone to pray. It's real simple. So if you could just close your eyes and we'll just um, pray a prayer together. Lord Jesus, I confess with my mouth that you are Lord and I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead. I ask you to come into my heart and be my Lord and personal saviour. Amen. And do you know when, when you do something as simple as that, that just means that you're now in covenant with God. All of the promises in here are available for you. And, um, and so just to finish off, I just want to open up, um, perhaps if we could have some music. Um, if anyone needs prayer, we are happy to pray for you. Um, otherwise, go and have a cuppa and um, a little bit of fellowship. And we look forward to seeing you next week. But if, if you are going to leave, please don't sit in here and have a chat. Please go out. If, if you're visiting, please try and hang around because we'd love to meet you. Pastor Peter and I would love to meet you. Um, we find that we're typically out last and so then we miss everybody. <laughs> but we would love to, love to meet you. So God bless. If you want prayer, please come forward. We'll be happy to pray for you.